Welcome to the Jonathan Shuttlesworth podcast. To stay connected, go to revivaltoday.com. And now, here is Evangelist Jonathan. Well, welcome to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm Jonathan Shuttlesworth as we conclude this iteration of Spider-Thon. Great to have you on with us on this wonderful night. I'm going to be joined shortly uh, by my wife, Adal Shuttlesworth, and we have tonight 10 pitfalls you must avoid in life. I got the positive feedback that you enjoy us together, so we're going to do it. I don't know what her five are, and she doesn't know what my five are. Melissa G., Winchester, Virginia, $84 seed. Joseph in Lombard, Illinois, $126 seed. Sandra in Mobile, Alabama, $84 seed. Colette in Woodway, Texas, $50 seed. Jane in Pompton Plains, New Jersey, believing for healing in her hip. Caroline in Inglewood, Florida, healing, tinnitus, and ears. Uh, we'll be praying for everybody at the end. That's terrible. I've heard that tonight is the ringing in the ears. Marie in New Jersey, restoration and salvation for family. Darlene in Parks, Arizona. Where's Parks, Arizona at? Healing, infection on arm, and difficulty walking. Kari in Colton, California, healing in left knee, favor for daughter with job because she was wrongly accused. Sandy in Everett, Washington, healing for body and for husband's back. Heidi in Northport, Florida. We were just there, uh, what was that, last weekend? Financial breakthrough. And Linda in Naples, Florida, healing for pinched nerve and a bad disc. We are at $308,000 that you folks have sowed um, during the spite which is absolutely supernatural, and $466,000 pledged. So we are about, uh, what, $200,000 away tonight? from cracking a million in pledges and seed sown. Somebody that's watching could do something tonight that would, that would change the trajectory of this ministry. There's somebody that's in that position, but I'm asking for everybody to do what the Lord's placed on your heart to do, and I want to say a genuine thank you. Of course, we're going to send you thank you gifts in the mail, but I want you to hear it from me that we're very thankful for all that you've uh, done, and those of you that have stood with us for years. There's people that have been partners with Adonis and I for 10 plus years that are watching. And um, I don't take it for granted. And I thank you. I'm going to be in Fort Worth, Texas tomorrow night, September 8th at the Ridgely Theater, 7 p.m. We have a crew down there right now. We're receiving members into the church before the church has even begun, which is amazing. And um, everybody that's going to be a part of Revival Today, Fort Worth, I love you. I'm, I'm honored that you would uh, trust me to be your pastor. And looking forward to the time we're going to have together. September 9th, Saturday night, if you want to watch the UFC fight together, I'm going to be back in Pittsburgh, right here at 107 Patton Drive in Coriopolis, Pennsylvania, at 9 p.m. is when the fights start. And uh, you have to be a man because it's, it's total bro, men's ministry night, and I'm looking forward to that, rtcregister.com. Uh, if you'd like to register, free, we're going to have food, the fight, and we paid the licensing money so we can announce it. Um, without getting Dana White upset as a, as UFC night. And then Sunday morning at Montour Junction Sports Complex. Every Sunday morning, we'll be right there. Montour Junction Sports Complex, 10 a.m., Revival Today Church, Pittsburgh. Then off to St. Louis on, a, do you have the our church slide? If you keep that handy, that's like the main thing that we do. So there you go. Every Sunday, 10 a.m., Montour Junction Sports Complex, 2419 State Avenue, Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. Uh, right by the Pittsburgh airport. If you want to drive in, this would be a great weekend to drive in as I continue with the, the Constitution of the Christian, 21 divine rights that every believer has that most don't know they have. Then 
from there, heading to St. Louis, Hope Church, St. Louis, September 10th through the 13th, uh, 7 p.m. Sunday night, Monday through Wednesday, 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. That's with my good friend, Pastor Greg Bruce, Hope Church, St. Louis. Then the week after that, I'm going to be in Salem, Oregon, Sunday night through Friday, 7 p.m. and then 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday through Friday with Pastor Lou, another good friend of mine on the West Coast. So we'll hit the East Coast, Midwest, and West Coast with plenty of time to spare in September. Praise the Lord. This is 10 pitfalls you must avoid in life. And I like anytime we're dealing with this type of subject, I like dealing with 1 Kings chapter 13. So I'm going to have you turn there with us as we do our Bible study tonight. 1 Kings chapter 13. Carol said, saw you in New London, Connecticut in 2019. Those were great meetings. That guy uh, was a great pastor, too. He kept his church open the entire time. The denomination he was in threatened to take his credentials, and he, he stayed open. I haven't heard from that guy. I'm trying to think of his name. I can see his face. Yeah, actually, that was right when COVID was, was starting to hit, right? Because wasn't that like Feb? No, 2019. I went back. I think I went back there in the spring just before it hit because I remember we were I was staying at Mohegan Sun at the hotel at the casino and I met him to eat lunch on the casino floor at one of the restaurants and people were just starting to walk around with masks on in like early February and they're thinking, what are you doing? First Kings chapter 13. The Bible says in verse 4, when King Jeroboam heard the man of God speaking against the altar at Bethel, he pointed at him and shouted, Seize that man. But instantly the king's hand became paralyzed in that position, and he couldn't pull it back. At the same time, a wide crack appeared in the altar, and the ashes poured out, just as the man of God had predicted in his message from the Lord. The king cried out to the man of God, Please ask the Lord your God to restore my hand again. So the man of God prayed to the Lord, and the king's hand was restored, and he could move it again. Then the king said to the man of God, Come to the palace with me and have something to eat. I'll give you a gift. But the man of God said to the king, Even if you gave me half of everything you own, I would not go with you. I would not eat or drink anything in this place. Verse 9, what was the reason? For the Lord gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you're there. And don't return to Judah by the same way you came. So he left Bethel and went home another way. As it happened, there was an old prophet living in Bethel, and his sons came home and told him what the man of God had done in Bethel that day. They also told their father what the man had said to the king. The old prophet asked them, which way did he go? So they showed their father which road the man of God had taken. Quick, saddle the donkey, the old man said, and they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted it. Then he rode after the man of God and found them sitting under a great tree. The old prophet asked them, are you the man of God who came from Judah? Yes, I am, he replied. Then he said to the man of God, come home with me and eat some food. No, I can't, he replied. I'm not allowed to eat or drink anything here in this place, for the Lord gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you're there, and don't return to Judah by the same way you came. But the old prophet answered, I'm a prophet too, just like you are. And an angel gave me this command from the Lord. Bring him home with you so he can have something to eat and drink. But the old man was lying to him. So they went back together, and the man of God ate and drank at the prophet's home. Now, 
What about that part of the story stands out to you? Yeah, I did say I'm going to be in St. Louis. Jack, so I hope hope I get to see it. What about that story stands out to you? The Lord told me, don't eat or drink anything until I go home. Oh, an angel told me. And the Bible says the old prophet was lying to him. Even if he wasn't lying, an angel can't outweigh the Lord. The Bible says in the New Testament, if any angel gives you a different gospel than the one we preached, let that angel be be cursed. So angels can't override God. Angels are servants of the Lord. So even if the prophet wasn't lying and and an angel had come, he should have stuck with what he knew, but he didn't. Verse 20. Then while they were sitting at the table, a command came from the a command from the Lord came to the old prophet. He cried out to the man of God from Judah. This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have disobeyed the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back to this place and ate and drank where he told you not to eat and drink. Because of this, your body will not be buried in the grave of your ancestors. 23. After the man of God had finished eating and drinking... The old prophet saddled his own. Man, I, I'd have stuck my fingers down my throat and vomited it up and oh, oh God, give me a redo. After he finished, I wanted to listen to it, nod my head and keep eating. After he finished eating and drinking, the old prophet saddled his own donkey for him and the man of God started off again. But as he was traveling home, a lion came out and killed him. His body lay there on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. People who passed by saw the body lying in the road and the lion standing beside it. And they went and reported it in Bethel, where the old prophet lived. That's like an obscure story in the Bible. If some of you were honest, that's the first time you ever heard it, or if you read it, you forgot about it. But um, Jerome said, Jonathan, you just spoke about angels. Do you think we can send them out to do stuff for us? I've heard other ministers talk about that for years. How about we just focus on, on what I'm going to speak of? which is 10 pitfalls you must avoid in life. So when that prophet disobeyed, he died that day. I want you to write this down in your notes and in the comments. Some mistakes you can quickly recover from. Some mistakes you can quickly recover from. Number two, some mistakes take a long time and great cost to recover from. And then number three, which we get here from the passage that we read together, some mistakes you never recover from. I may be the only preacher you ever hear tell you that, but I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I mean, no matter what happens, we can always come back. No, there's this place called cemeteries. Some mistakes you never recover from. And so I'm telling you this up front because when we say 10 pitfalls you must avoid in life, you should have a desire to stay in the center of God's will, to not go up and down, to go from glory to glory, victory to victory, and strength to strength. So this, this will put me at number one. I'm going I'm to take the first one, and then I'll swing it to my wife to do number two. Ten pitfalls you must avoid in life, and I'm glad this is the introduction. Number one, 
Living life as if pitfalls are inevitable is the first pitfall you must avoid. Some people just, well, how many know we all make mistakes? If you have that as your life motto, you're going to die early. You're going to go through financial trouble. It's a challenge enough with your eyes looking towards perfection to not make mistakes. If you have a soft spot for mistakes, you're in trouble. You've heard me say this before, that American Christians have fallen in love, and Western Christians, Canada, America, Europe, they've fallen in love with the forgiveness side of God. How many know no matter what you do, God will forgive? I want you to write this down. The same power that forgives you is is available to remain in victory. The same power of God that will forgive your sins gives you power to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Glory to glory, victory to victory, strength to strength. The same power that forgives sin gives power to overcome. Joshua chapter 1, turn there. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. God told Joshua, No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I'll never fail you and I'll never abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Don't deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. I want you to write that down. Successful in everything I do. That's what God told Joshua. That's why in Joshua chapter 6 and 7, when Achan sinned, Joshua got down on his face and wanted to know what was wrong. Joshua didn't uh, accept losing as a normal part of life. God had told him, if you do what I tell you to do, you won't be defeated. Ten pitfalls you must avoid in life. Number one, living life as if pitfalls are inevitable. Turn to one more scripture, and then I'll swing it uh, to my wife, Pastor Dallas, who's joining us tonight. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4, verse 11. I'll start at verse 10. My child, listen to me and do as I say, and you'll have a long, good life. I will teach you wisdom's ways and lead you in straight paths. When you walk, you won't be held back. When you run, you won't stumble. Not just you won't fall, you won't stumble. Take hold of my instructions and don't let them go. Guard them, for they're the key to life. So I want you to see that the Bible is instruction to never stumble, to not miss it. You know, you you get into how short life is. Even if you live a long life, it's short. The Bible says life is but a vapor. 
here today and gone tomorrow. You don't have eight years to waste. 15 years to waste. Pitfall number one, there's going to be a major difference between somebody that lives their life, well, we all make mistakes. You know, you've heard it. If you've been a Christian for any period of time, somebody say from the platform, well, you know, I sinned yesterday, I sinned today, I'll sin tomorrow. There's some sins that will cost you your life. That's a mistake. So shoot, that's why we're teaching. I mean, if pitfalls are inevitable, then why teach anything? Why study the Bible? If we're all going to sin, we're all going to mess up, we're going to win sometimes and lose someone, then there's no need for instruction. Just go out and get your head kicked in, and then sometimes luck your way into success. But the Bible says if you take heed to God's instructions, when you, when you walk, uh, you'll never stumble. When you run, you'll never stumble. Uh, when you run, you, you won't be held back. When you walk, you won't stumble. Joshua, I will give you good success. And notice God didn't tell him. Now, don't write this down. This is a private deal between me and you. No, it's in Scripture in perpetuity for anybody. If you do what I tell you to do, my instructions lead forward and they lead to victory. Ten pitfalls you must avoid in life. Pitfall number one, living as if pitfalls are inevitable. And I swing it now to somebody I'm privileged to be joined with tonight. Thanks for coming coming over with me. Love you, Dallas. Number two. Um. You asked me to come up with a, a scripture about this whole thing. And I found Proverbs 22, 5, and it says, Thorns and snares are in the way of the obstinate, for their lack of honor and their wrongdoing traps them. He who guards himself with godly wisdom will be far from them and avoid consequences that they suffer. That's so a great on the verse. heels of that, and then this is a different version. It says, in the path of the wicked are snares and pitfalls, but wow. those who would preserve their lives stay away from them. That's Proverbs 22, 5? Correct. So like on... In the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls, but those, those who would preserve, preserve their, their life, life stay far from them. So, so there is a method to our madness. There is a reason why... We're sitting down and we're kind of coaching you through the things that you can easily uh, fall into, the traps, the snares, the, the wiles of the, the enemy. And so once you identify um, that or once you identify them, you can see them a mile away. And so identifying these things or at least um, looking out for them, right? You know, like uh, if you've ever been running in a field, um, John, have you ever been running in a field? Never. <laughs> so or on concrete <laughs> or on any other surface. I just wanted to, you know, <laughs> make fun of him because, you know, he just doesn't. But if you're, and there, the, the grass is very tall and you're running through the field, there might be divots that could cause your, your knees to go out or your ankles to kind of twist because in, in, for the natural eye, everything's kind of like level because the grass grows there, but there could be some holes and, 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 you know, uh, obstructions there that could cause you harm. And so knowing where those are is vital for, to keep running the race that God has called you to. And so the first one that I want to start with is the, the pitfall of worry. And these are in no particular order because I actually don't think this is the most important one, but whatever. Uh, but it's the pitfall of worry. This is number two. So this is number two, my number one. Um, most people worry 
every single day of their lives about things that are beyond their control. And we are not called to worry. And at the very root of that worry is fear. It's the spirit of fear. And it's, it's holding you bondage. And it's, 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 it's uh, not allowing you to progress in life. And we were trying to like toss up ideas like how, how to, um, you know, kill it in life or how to progress or how to, you know, not slow down or just keep moving forward. And this is a huge one because we waste so much time just worrying about what, what's going to happen. How many times has God told you to do something, but you allowed worry to come in and snuff it out? You know, so a, a choice really does have to be made. It's, it's a choice to worry or it's a choice to trust. Those are the only two options you get. And there's going to be lots of things that are outside of our control that will uh, innately leave us in a state of panic. But we have a choice. We can, we can look at that situation and take control and understand that God has given us self-control. We don't have to flip out. We don't have to punch a hole in the wall. We don't have to just be hysterically crying about certain things. No, let me think this through. God has given me the mind of Christ. He's given me that same spirit now dwells on the inside of me. So I can, uh, go, you know, I could come out of this without one, one, you know, loss of hair. Cause I know there's people that are just, that you have ball spots because of worry. And I, I know that like back in high school, I had a friend and she was such a studious person. Like she really took her studies seriously, which me, I'm like, eh, can I copy off yours? You know what I mean? That is not something I'm going to worry. But it's interesting what we all prioritize and what we worry about. And so my friend, she was really given into like the, the just, I have to ace it, I have to. And she was just like a, a ball of stress to the point where she lifted up her hair and there was like ball spots, like patches of hair just completely gone because mentally she was like worried about failing uh, the classes. And so it, it does something. It leaves you in a state of, of um I don't even know, well, it, a fear. It's a state of fear and then it affects your body. And uh, most people don't understand. You don't have to worry. There's a choice to be made. And in Philippians 4, 6, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. When was the last time you got bad news and you just started praying? You didn't flip a table or like attack or like ah, uh, panic and, and just cry hysterically. Ah, now, well, let me pray. You know, that's what God wants us to, 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 you know, go into. It's, it's, it's praying about everything. And then it says here, tell God what you need and then thank him for all he's done. So what is that? We're putting it to remembrance and it's a mindset. It's, it's, uh, these actions that we have to take because a lot of times people are like, well, how do I do this? Well, how do I not worry? It, yo, it's right there. It's telling you, right here. Don't worry. So it's a choice to stop it. So you stop worrying and then I'm going to pray. And now I'm going to give thanks for the good things that have happened in my life. And maybe I have to go back to 1999 to pull out something really good that happened, but I'm a, I'm going to stay fixed on what the, what God has done for me and the goodness of God on display in my life. And that's what I'm going to magnify. That's what I'm going to focus in on. Verse seven, it says, then you will experience God's peace. 
which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Went up west. So that's, that's it. That's the remedy. How do I not worry? Well, you know what? My mom, you know, she just was like, she was always a worry ward. So it's like, it's passed down to me and I just can't shake it. And that's your confession and you'll never break out of it. But if you understand what the word of God says, it, there's a remedy for it. It just says, don't do it. I'm not going to allow to fret. I'm not going to allow to worry. I'm not going to allow to fear because the Bible says I shouldn't. And here's another one, 1 Peter 5, 7. Give all your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Matthew 6, 27. And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? So what does that mean? It means it's pointless to worry about things outside of your freaking control. Why put any effort in that? When you could, you know, easily, as easily as the effort is to worry, you can easily just put your trust in God and say, you know what? He works everything out for, for the good of me and my family because we love him and we put him first in our lives. And so it's an easy thing to do. And don't ever be fooled into thinking that this is something that just is just not natural to me. It's not natural to anybody because flesh will want you to panic and worry. But we are given to the spirit. Now we are one with Christ and he wants it done a certain way. So we got to fall back and do it. I like the combination of me and you doing this because we're like on different tracks, <laughs> you know, which is good because then you get five years. It's not like like 10 of the same thing. Yeah. It's like with me and Pastor Rodney. We're, we're, we're different in how we minister. So it, it's like a nice combo. It's not like me and then me junior. You know what I mean? Yes. Th- that, that's very good on worry. And I, I if, if we had came up with 20 apiece, I wouldn't have done that one. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you're not prone to worry ever. Exactly. So yeah. we, we pick up different things. Great job. Uh, this is 10 pitfalls you must avoid in life. Number three, John chapter nine. Jesus healed a man who had been born blind. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, but he, for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about the man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man who had been blind and could now see. So they called his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see? His parents replied, these are the parents, their son that was born blind can now see, thanks to Jesus. His parents replied, we know this is our son and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he's old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called him in, the man who had been born blind, and said, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I do know this. I was blind, and now I can see. And what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Do you want to hear it again so that you can become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know whether this man 
uh, where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to listen to those who worship him and do his will. Verse 32. Ever since the world began, no one has ever been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. 35. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You've seen him, Jesus said, and he's speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they're blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and said, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim that you can see. Ten pitfalls you must avoid in life. Number three, continuing to remain in a church that you know you must leave. Continuing to remain in a church that you know you must leave. That will be a pitfall that gives birth to many pitfalls. I'm not saying this because I recently started a church in Pittsburgh, and I will soon be starting a church in Texas. This is not to get people to leave their church. That's why I picked my words carefully. Continuing to remain in a church that you already know in your spirit you need to leave. And as my Uncle Ted dealt with, there has been a major separation of tares and wheat. And there's another one coming right now. This man's parents were unwilling... (laughs) They went to synagogue his whole life, and nothing ever happened for his eyes. Jesus comes and heals his eyes. And they're more loyal to the old system than to where God's moving right now. You waiting and hoping that a church, can I do something that'll help you out? Yes. If you're believing that your church is going to have a revival and come back to the way it was 20 years ago or 15 years ago or whatever... I can tell you it will never happen. It's a 0% chance of that happening. It doesn't happen. You know what? Uh, I was talking to an older minister, and he said, any time that I fired someone from my ministry, and then I would rehire them because they came back and said five years later, they moved away and came back, he said it never worked because it was like they were always trying to catch up because God's, God's move is a river. And so if you get out of the river and people are in a raft, you can't just, if you jump back in, you're going to be a quarter mile back. God is moving in the earth. If a church or a denomination gets out of the flow, they're out of the flow. And Lester Summerall said, no one ever fights the new move of God harder than the people that were in the last move of God. We didn't get it that way. That's not how it was. Back when, uh, back when we were having revival back in the 1980s. So they miss it. They miss the river. If you stay in a dead church, and I know this is going to help somebody, I'm going to tell you what happens. Let's say that Camila wasn't 10. Let's say she was 2. And me and Adalis have been in my Uncle Ted's meetings and my dad's meetings and, and Dr. Rodney's meetings. 
But then we decide, you know, I, I work a job, I, I, I manufacture suitcases. And they moved our plant from Tampa, Florida, where we went to church, to now I'm working in northern Idaho, and there's no good churches there. And so we go to this church that it's okay, you know, it's not bad. They're not, I'm not saying they're spouting heretical things from the platform, but there's no move of God, no presence of God. I'm going to tell you what happens to that family. I won't backslide. She won't backslide. We, we've been, we've been, we've had an encounter with God, but my daughter has never had that encounter. And so we think that she thinks, well, you know, we're just going to, this isn't a great church, but it, it's all right. But there's much better churches. Yeah. But she doesn't know that. She thinks the dead church that we've decided to park ourselves in is what a church is. And so she thinks, if this is Christianity, I'm not interested. And when she turns 15 or 16, she's going to get a part-time job, start working two Sundays a month. She's going to get into cheering or field hockey or whatever, softball, and, and start making her exit from the Christian faith because this thing I, has done nothing for me. You know, my parents like it. It's done, they like it. It's done something for them. I'm not against it, but there's nothing to it, and you destroy your family. And then I'll, I'll add something to that. I said nothing would happen to me and nothing would happen to Dallas. You know what? That's also not a guarantee. Mm -hmm. Because I have seen strong Christians that move to weak churches that over a period of years started to struggle in their marriage, started to battle depression, started to drink. It is very, very important that you are in a strong church under a strong pastor or it's going to lead you to pitfalls. In that day, I will give you shepherds who will watch over your souls. The mechanism that God gave to care for your soul. Well, God, God will take care of you. God in that day, yeah, God said, I will take care of you. I'll give you pastors that will shepherd your soul. The church and pastors are God's means of watching over you. He's the head or the body. I didn't know that, Megan. Megan said, that's why my husband and I are moving to Pittsburgh. And I promise you, I'm not doing this to get you to leave. I didn't say uh, uh, pitfall number, number three, all of you that haven't left your church yet and joined Revival Today Church. Right. I didn't say that. Right. But there are people, I'll tell you something interesting. In one of the churches uh, between Pennsylvania and, and uh, Texas, someone was considering joining our church. And they talked to their sister about it. And their sister is a pastor's wife. And she said to her sister, she, she told her the story of when Elizabeth met Mary and Mary was pregnant, the baby inside of her leapt. She said, which church makes your baby leap? That's an interesting, I never heard that phrasing before, but I liked it. If someone brings your church up, you know, there's some churches people go to, they don't tell anybody they go there. I go to church in Tennessee. 
You know, what's the name? You know, it's it's a small church. Or they'll start apologizing. You know, if you're apologizing for your church to people who haven't even asked, where do you go to church? Well, you know, um, it, it's, you know, when you, you have to go to that, that kind of mode instead of being excited and inviting people. Revival Today Church, people are excited. People that go to the river, you, you should come to, to our church. I don't go to the river because Pastor Rodney and I have had a huge falling out, as most people know. No. Um, I invite people to his church when I'm in Tampa. The waitress uh, server, I guess you call them now, the server at, the, at Jubal uh, Noodle Palace that I had, she said, man, my, life, my life's not going well. I told her about uh, the river. I told her where it's at. Oh, that's three minutes from my house. I'm going to go. And she went, took her kids. I'm not like, wait, you know, um, I'm not going to invite anyone there because it's not really that great. No, if you go there, you're going to get help. I have confidence in Pastor Rodney. It's a shame. Let's be honest. Part of the reason many of you don't invite anybody to church is because you don't even want to be there. And if you went to a proper church, you would be inviting people. You should come to church with me. This place is great. You want to shut up about it. I would, I would encourage you, if you're somebody that's at a church because for some soulish reason, my wife went to Bible college with the pastor's wife and we've known each other a long time. That's not a reason to stay in a dead church. There is no reason to stay in a dead church. If I leave, most of um, our giving constitutes probably 30% of the budget, and I don't know if the church could make it without us. If there's somebody a church can't make it without, that person should go and let it collapse. If God's not holding it up, nobody else should hold it up. Have your children in an on-fire church. It will save you (laughs) many tear-stained pillows. It'll save you tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. In this day and age, it may save you burying your child who's overdosed on fentanyl. I would have my life, if I were you, revolve around a strong on-fire church. Ten pitfalls you must avoid in life. Pitfall number three, continuing to remain in a church. You know on the inside of you, you need to leave. Your heart tells you leave. Your head has these reasons. But you need to listen to your spirit. Number four. We are not even on the same wavelength here. That's good, though. I'm like... You are, uh, I, I see where you're going, but I'm like totally, But this, this isn't not, even close to what you're talking about. It's good it's not close to what we're talking about. Okay. Because number one, we won't overlap. Number two, it hits, no, not even it hits two different flows because like you could do prayerlessness. That would be a great pitfall. We could do a hundred To cover, but, but like I'm not, on, I'm not doing that. Okay, yeah. So you, you doing worry, that's fine. It would be bad if we were, if we were like doing, covering the same stuff. I mean, but at least be kind of in the same ballpark. We're not even in but the these same are No, they are. These are all pitfalls. Okay. Worry's a pitfall. All right. Being in a bad church is a pitfall. True. Go ahead. Okay, the pitfall, <laughs> random, of accumulation um, and so I just feel as though this deserves um, some attention. Look what Timothy wrote. Pastor Jonathan, when I arrived in Pittsburgh for what no I has seen, my shuttle driver from the airport asked what I was here for. I told her for church, and she swung her head back and said, is that that church off of Patton? That place is fire. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Oh, 
that's awesome. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, Matthew 6, 19 says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where there's moth and rust uh, cannot destroy and thieves do not break and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Um, and I, I, uh, I just wanted to hone in on that particular one because I feel like a lot of time is given to accumulating stuff and wanting stuff as though stuff is what matters or stuff is the value um, or the landmark of success. And at the very end of your life, and I was reading some article and they, they uh, were interviewing a whole bunch of people on their deathbed. And they're like, okay, let's try to see what they, uh, you know, when they look back on their life, what did they value the most? And these are not believers, okay? These are not like, oh, Holy Ghost, Bible-believing people don't say, keep Jesus first. No, but they do fall into alignment with what the word says to, to, to keep, you know, as, as kind of the forefront of what you're um, going after in life. And sadly, you know, people give their entire 20s, 30s, 40s trying to fit this persona of success, trying to get your whole, oh, I've got, I just bought my house, I'm 31, I just turned key, but you're in debt and you're miserable and, and, and you're, you're barely making ends meet and you want the red bottoms and you want to look the part because TikTok and Instagram and all this kind of stuff and people are just obsessing about what they can get and it matters nothing. And so when they interviewed these people that were on their deathbed, uh, they talked about three things, okay? They talked about um, how true happiness comes from providing service, making meaningful contributions, and building lasting relationships, those are the three things that people look back and said, that's what they, that's what they were talking about. Like, man, I, just, I, I wish I could have spent more time with my kids when they were at home. Uh, you know, I, I, I wish I would have done more. And, and uh, when it comes to, you know, helping other people and, and, and you know, it's, it's my legacy. It's, it's what I'm leaving. And so, uh, you know, you got to focus in on what's most important in life and squeeze the heck out of it. Because as much as we want to say we're 30s, we're still well, middle age, we're young, we're 20s, we're 50s. 15, we got our whole life to live. You will blink and 40 years will go by. And it's like, what have you done in those 40 years? So you have nice shoes. Who cares? It's meaningless. What are you providing in this world? What is, what is the ripple effect of your life? Did you even have a ripple or did you just sink to the bottom and nobody even knew? You know, like what is it that you're giving yourself to? It's important that we look at these questions and it's not to sound like a little morbid, like you're going to die. But that's a good thing to remember is that we are all going to die. And, and what a shame it is that the only thing that you can think of as, as success in your life is a money or a vehicle or jewelry or something so stupid and superficial. And it's a toxic mindset that, you know, it's been given, especially in North America, to try to kind of like hone in on that as though that's the measure of success. It's not. 
It's absolutely not. And you know what? Jonathan and I have had the privilege of meeting very successful people. And it always comes down to the fact that they want to do something that when they're dead and gone, people will remember them by. It's not like, oh, look at the houses they have. They have tons of houses. They have beautiful cars. Adelson, I knew a guy that was very successful that was miserable because, and he would tell me, and this was years ago. So I, I hadn't hit my financial breakthrough really yet. And he'd say, you know, I have this, you know, he had a beautiful home, like one of the most beautiful I've ever seen, maybe second to Brother Jesse's. And he said, I have all this stuff, but he said, if I go on Facebook Live and speak, nobody comes on it. Nobody cares. He's, he said, nobody cares what I have to say. He was miserable. He didn't have influence. So he had a bunch of things, but he had no impact. And that bothered him. Impact. Boom. That's part of the thing. Go ahead. Well, it's the three things that we are at least evaluate these things so that you're not in the pitfall of just accumulating stuff. And then at the end of the bit, it's like, okay, I have a house, but what? You have no ministry. You have no, no lasting relationship with your children. Your children hate your guts. Great. You're a, a CEO of a fortune 500 company. Everybody hates your guts. Your children despise you. You know, you didn't, you didn't take the time to, to, you know, cultivate those relationships and build meaningful, lasting relationships because at the end of your life, you're going to look back and say, dang, like I should have just done more in that, those areas. And so these are the three areas that you have to evaluate. What are you doing? What's your assignment and your call? Are you giving yourself to that? Because that ultimately is what you're going to be. See, these are the things that I'm mentioning here is what we're going to bring before Jesus. We're going to, we're, we're taking what I'm talking about into eternity. And that's what I was talking about with uh, Matthew six. It's don't store up treasures here. Take what is, is, is at your disposal here. Like take the stuff that's meaningful that can really transfer into heaven, which is your assignment, which is the call. You are to bring what you've done to the feet of Jesus and it's going to be tried by fire. Have you done what God has called you to do? Number one. Number two, what kind of impact have you done in the kingdom of God? What kind of impact have you had? Period. Most people, and I I, want to say most people, I think the majority of people If I could get get a percentage, it would be like 90% or more. Live life and make no impact. Oh, yeah. I mean, it'd be be 99%. I didn't want to say 99. I wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt. But it's, it's really, that frightens me. That you could live a whole life and nobody remembers you about anything. And it's very easy to do. Just get caught up in in, uh, paying bills. Because look at, look at, we... I've never met Jack, Jack Mitchell. Is that his name? I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a picture. I, I may have seen a picture of his wife before. I don't know him, but I know he, he left a deposit on somebody's life and it affected me. Yeah. And, you know, it's what, and, and it, it's what ushered in my husband. So whether he knew it or not, blessing your father made that connection for him to stay even after he was gone to go and preach for Joe Sapienza. Yeah. And that, Connection is what brought my brother-in-law, or not my brother-in-law, 
my uh, youth pastor, Pastor Max, into the kingdom. Your dad led him to the Lord at that church. That is the church that I went to youth group in, and that's the church that we connected in. And now look at what we've done. That see, those are the ripple effects that maybe you never know, but but they're there, and you're gonna take it into eternity. And I'm sure Jack Mitchell is looking down, saying like, I had a I had a part to play in that huge part. And he's gonna receive a blessing with all the souls that is, have been saved and everything that we've done here on the earth. It's gonna go to his his account. Maybe not all of it, but a, a good portion of it is. And so it's those things that, that it's not about you. It's not about self. It's not about what I can get to, to, to get more and to, to make myself bigger. It's not about that. It's about what you are uh, doing to leave a, a legacy and impact and bring that into heaven. And the, the next thing is souls. Relationship with people, cultivating those, those, you know, relationships that are going to be lasting and, 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 you know, meaningful. Love is, is a reciprocal thing. It's the whole reason God even created humanity. It was like, we can't keep this love to ourselves. Let's make man in our image and bring them in to this beautiful cycle of love. I want a relationship with these children. And he created people. Humanity was based on the fact that he wanted to be in relationship with individuals and show them the God kind of love. So that's like God to do those things. Why, why are we, uh, I don't like relationship. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a loner. I'm an introvert. Well, I don't really like to talk and I don't really like to invest in people and I like to be alone and X, Y, Z. Okay, but cultivate relationships. Those are meaningful things. I have a, a chapter in uh, Financial Overflow that's on breaking materialism. This is a, like a topic what Adonis is talking about that people think people like us don't get. Well, those people believe in prosperity. They teach people to chase money when the Bible says uh, not to chase money. no. There's a place for it. I wrote 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Don't love the world nor the things it offers you. You can have things in the world. All of you do. Because you're watching me right now on technology that's in the world. So in high technology. It doesn't say don't have anything in the world. It says love not the things of the world. Yeah. Don't love them. That's why God from time to time puts his finger on something that you really like and speaks to you to sow it because it's a check. Mm. Do you have that or do you love that? And then when he has you give, give something you love, it, it breaks that. It makes sure that stays broken. Love not the world nor the things that are in the world. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father. They're from this world. And this world is fading, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Um, I'll just read some. You may not realize it, but you most likely deal with materialism. I didn't realize it when I dealt with materialism. If God blessed you right now, I'm asking you this from this book. If God blessed you right now with $1 million, you would spend, uh, if God blessed you right now with $1 million, you would spend it on worldly things that you enjoy. I don't believe that God will take you to the place he desires for your life until materialism is broken. Let's break down my definition of breaking materialism. It's not along the lines of your common church sermon where I profess to not caring about anything and drive a car held together by Christian bumper stickers. 
Dr. Rodney Howard Brown shared a story of the time the Lord spoke to him saying, when everything means nothing to you, I will give you everything. Let that statement resonate in your spirit. When everything means nothing to you, I'll give you everything. In the last chapter, I shared a story of when the Lord told me to take all the money I was spending on clothes and give it to missions. When I stopped spending money on clothes, I realized just how much I'd been spending. I was single and wanted to look presentable in case the Lord brought a woman into my life to marry. I didn't want to look like an unkempt slob. As an evangelist, you're always in front of a new crowd who are judging you based solely on your appearance. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look sharp. After a year and a half of not spending money on clothes, materialism became a race from my system. In essence, the Lord stopped me from buying cheap suits during that time. When I did, he gave me the nicest suit I ever owned. All kinds of clothes have been coming in ever since. It all started with God breaking materialism off my life. If the Lord had given us $1 million five years ago, it, I wrote this in 2015, it would have been spent much differently. I'd like to say we wouldn't have spent it on ourselves, nor taken a housing allowance and paid cash for an extremely nice house. Receiving that amount now, however, gave us the ability to give employees to our ministry a raise and the ability to give $400,000 outside the ministry. You don't have to make a decision to never have anything nice. When God told me to quit buying clothes, it didn't mean I would never have new clothes. It was actually the opposite. I now have both finer and vastly more clothes than I did when I was shopping all the time. Before that, anytime someone gave me money, I was off to the mall to buy something for myself. Now there's no need to go because the blessing chases me. God changed my heart and the kingdom of God became my number one priority. Make it your business to establish the kingdom of God. And when you do, God will add unto you all the other things that you were pursuing. You won't have to remind him. You won't have to pray about it. God will make sure that they chase you down. When I was spending all my money on myself, I never had people say, I feel like I need to do something for you. Come and meet me at my suit store. Or I want to give you something so you can go on vacation. I was too busy spending money on those things for myself. However, when I took that money and used it for God's kingdom instead, he put people in place to grant me the desires of my heart. When everything means nothing to you, God will give you everything. Amen. You want to t tie up your point? Um, I mean, I, th I thought you did a pretty dang good job. Break materialism off. Don't try to accumulate things that are completely unimportant. And honestly, that's a mindset that you have to have, which is materialism. And we're trained to think like you're, you are you, what you own, you know, that, that is what resembles your status in life. And, and I, I've also, I'm not stupid enough to, to <laughs> be blinded by the fact that most people are in over their heads with debt and it's crippling them. They're living in fear. They can't, they don't really own anything and they live in misery. They can't go out bowling because there's, no. You know, <laughs> there's no freedom in that. And so they've lived their lives to try to paint this picture of what success is, and they're miserable. Yeah, and your whole life revolves around paying off a house. It's, mm. We can't go on vacation. You know, we're, we're trying to get our house paid off. Okay, you're going to get it paid off, and right. if, if you're still alive, because there's, you know, I, I'm, I'm speaking outside of, of Psalm 91, because not, not everyone attains that, because they don't believe it or whatever. Right. You're going you're gonna to forgo time with your children, Time with your wife or husband so that one day when you're 62, assuming everyone's still alive, 
you can then do something when you don't even feel like going anywhere then. It's true, because we, we talked about this, and I was like, why, you know, at, at this point, you've got so many people, they own homes, and they've owned a couple homes, and they're in, they have a mortgage and stuff, and then we, we were thinking about it. It's like, now is the time to work hard. Yes. And, and, and really build, right? That's right. And then everything else will be added to, to that. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But I, I just find it interesting that most people will do the opposite of that. And instead of, um, you know, building something that God has given you the power to, to, to build or whatever, they're just in this maintenance mode. And then at 60, when, you know, it, it's, it's, it's time to, like, enjoy life, you look back and it's like, what, what have we been doing the last 30 years of our life? Yes. We've been paying bills and not enjoying this. You, you, bought, you bought that house for your kids, but you were stressed out. And now they're out and it's paid. And now th- there's no need for a big house anymore. Nope. It's, a, it's a constant reminder of the things that used to happen in the house. And, and they, 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 the, your 11-year-old didn't want a big house. No. They wanted time with you. And, right. and you robbed them of time with you. Trying to get a, a big house. Oh, that sucks so bad. Um, but but that's what we emphasize is I want the house. I want the cars and I want this. It's like, no, focus on what's most important. The time that you have with these kids, the time, the time, you know, cultivating a great marriage instead of a fractured one that you have to kind of pick up the pieces for when you're in, when you're 60s and late 50s because the kids are out of the house. And there's nothing wrong with having a great house. There's nothing wrong with having great houses. It's yes. focus. Correct. No one has ever written a biography about how some, how big someone's home was. It's all, I'm all for it. But that's, it's like, take Jesse Duplantis. He's got the largest private home in the state of Louisiana. That might be mentioned in his biography one day when he goes to heaven. But his life with the largest house in Louisiana, that's not what he's known for. He's known for making impact traveling and preaching. Yeah. And who cares if you have a beautiful house? Like, like I want everybody to know, like, nobody cares. I wish that you would just tell yourself that every single day. Hey, nobody cares. Nobody cares that I drive a Mercedes. Nobody cares that I live in a big house. The only thing people care about is how you make them feel. Is, is building lasting relationships and like, that was a really nice guy. They, they don't, they don't remember your, your, the, the outfits or the shoes or, or the accessories that you were wearing. They remember how you made them feel. He was such a kind man. He was a godly man. When I came in, I felt the peace of God, you know, and, and most people negate that and focus in on the dumb stuff. And then they boast about it like it matters. It, great. Yeah. You have nice shoes. Great. Look at you with your toes in the water and your the pool that you have. Like, hey, nobody cares. Yeah, your your life, like like the Bible says, your life's not defined by your possessions. Because you you take you know Jesse Duplantis is a very rich man, but even you take uh, downstairs right now we have a youth service going on. Our youth pastor, Pastor Maddie Ortiz. Her parents aren't going to tell you like, hey, did you hear he has a huge home? They're going to say, hey, did you know my wife couldn't have a child? And Jesse Duplantis called her out and prayed for her, and that's how Maddie was born. She was able to get pregnant after that, and and, and all that. you know he makes impact. Your life, your life should be defined by the impact you make, not the possessions you have. I'm not only not only is it okay to have possessions, you should have the best. 
I'm against cheap suits and cheap watches and crappy homes in, in bad neighborhoods. I'm not saying that. I don't know if I live in a shack for the rest of my life, but at least I've told someone about Christ. I'm not saying you pick between the two. But I'm saying you should look to lay up treasure in heaven. And actually, as you've been reading this stuff about money, it's amazing how many times when the Bible talks about money, it, it, it's talking about getting it in circulation. That's right. Sew it, spend it on friends. You know, it, it tells you to do that. Experiences, that was another thing that they talked about on the deathbed. I remember that one time when we went to Italy and we were all there and we were just having, you know, a great time and we were dancing and laughing and eating and just enjoying time with people. Yes. You know, experiencing things. And most people, we because we are so accustomed to the accumulation aspect of it, we give too much time to those other things that we negate those experiences like life. Yes. Time. Like time spent with the people that you love, even your parents. Like you, your parents are never like they they're not always going to be there. And we, we, we dismiss that, the relationships and we just move on like it's just, you know, they're going to be on there forever. You know, value the time with your, with your children, with your mom and dad, and with do, your family. do things when they're alive. Do things while they're alive. You know, like, like when I went to the Louis Vuitton store in Scottsdale, I said, what's the nicest purse you have in the store? And they said, oh, we just got this one in. This is the best one. Ship it to, and I gave them my mother's address. You know, I'm not. I'm not putting flowers on your grave. But, you know, I'm, I'm. It's I'm the doing same. So it's, now. it's not even. It may not even be blood relatives. Like I, I've heard you tell Pastor Rodney. Like I'm telling you. Like thank you for doing what what you're doing. You know, Brother Jesse, I value you. Thank you so much. We we give them seeds of honor. We send them flowers. We do nice things because what's the sense of doing it after they're dead and buried? The, you know, Lester Sumrall's gone. Kenneth Hagin's gone. There's almost nobody I could get a call from right now that they told me that they died, and I, and it would bother me. Right. Because I've done, I've treated people like I knew this is going to be the last time I ever see them or whatever. I, I, my, the best I can do. And that's how to live life. You know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean. You know, the last time my dad was with me, I, I took him, my credit, my, my bank called me and thought my, my account had been hacked because of how much money had been spent. You know, my, my mom, uh, Jesse, Pastor Rodney, I, I give my, my best to them. As if, as if, you know, I know that this will be the last time we see each other. So that, so that if they did, like when Pastor Rodney said he did everything he could at New York City, and then when the Twin Towers fell, he didn't feel anything because he had already behaved in a way as if New York City was going to be attacked yeah. and spent millions of dollars to tell people about Jesus. Okay. That's right. So, like, you know. Live that way. Live with the end in mind instead of letting it sneak up on you. Ten pitfalls you must avoid in life. Number five, John chapter six, verse 60. Many of his disciples said, this is a, Jesus' disciples. These are, this isn't the crowd. Many of Jesus' disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you don't believe in me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew which ones would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Jesus, hmm. 
So when you have people turn their back on you, don't feel bad. What is this point? I, I haven't given it yet. Oh, okay. I'm, oh, I can't wait. This is going to be good. Mm, I feel that. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and said, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you're the Holy One of God. Number five, discarding covenant relationships. The pitfall of discarding covenant relationships. Yes. Wow. Why? Why do you say wow? I just, I like that. That was a lot. You know, there's a lot to process there. The teaching that some people are in your life for a season is one of the stupidest teachings I've ever heard. I, I think I've taught about that. <laughs> and let, if, if it's not coupled with the value of covenant relationships, it's a dumb... You know, there's a lady preacher that teaches on that. Some, some people are only in your life for a season. Everything she says is about how just be fine. You know, she's on what, marriage number five? Some people aren't in your life for a season. Some people God gave you as a covenant relationship. True. And you should value that relationship because what Peter said is true. Are you going to leave? Where else are we going to go? There's only one. <laughs> you're, the, you're the one. If I lose my, my relationship with Rodney Howard Brown, that, that is a stupid thing on my part. Well, he was in my life for a season, but I feel... No, 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 no. You know, when Pastor Rodney got a, a, a arrested... There was a church that was under his, uh, in covenant with him, that immediately turned in their credentials, you know, because they were embarrassed that their, their overseer was arrested. They've got, they went down. They'll never come back up, ever. Because they hit a pitfall. It's a pitfall to discard people that God sent into your life. Mm. There isn't another one. So identifying those people, because listen, I, I have preached that, that people come into your life as scaffolding, like for a season. And, and I've seen it within my own uh, life. But I guess it's identifying those like covenant relationships, not just relationships. Yeah, discarding covenant. specifically like a covenant God-ordained relationship. I'm not saying Jesus should have run after Judas, but Judas made a mistake discarding his covenant. He knew who would betray him. Yeah. These, you never read about any of these idiots again that all walked out. Who knows who any of these disciples are? They had a chance to knit themselves to Christ and read about them like Stephen, and you never hear about them again because they couldn't recognize who, who God had sent into their life to elevate them. Wow. Mm. I feel rebuked. No, you know, and, and I know a lot of people preach that, so I'm sure there's something to it. But 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 to make it your foundation, no. we're basically like everyone's in your life for a season. No, some people were meant to be with you. God put them in your life. Yes, and you should have an Elisha, Elijah-like relationship with somebody. Mm. My father, my father, the horses and charioteers of Israel. I'm going to go up to heaven. You stay here. I won't leave your side till you go. Let me tell you. Let me, let me tell you something, the brother Jonathan. That has everything to do with loyalty. And yeah. loyalty is an art that is completely lost in this world Yes, today. and much of the reason why it's lost is people telling everyone that everyone's in your life for a season. Okay, I, I said that a couple times. I'm sorry. I'm not talking about you. I'm sorry that I said that. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you taught it correctly. 
But people just throw, you know, that teaching, why, why is the divorce rate so high in the church? Are you going to choose in my life for a season? Well, this is why, this is the thing though, because, uh, you know, a lot of times where, where, where people are lifelong friends, then you get saved and then everything changes. They're not going to stick around with you. So those people that were your ride or dies, something has to change. They're not going to be in your life forever. So identifying covenant relationship is key. And then being loyal to them is even the greater thing because you have a part to play in that. People are welcome to walk out of my life, but there's people that, Pastor Rodney could do anything he wanted to me. He could be the next time I go to ministers conference, he could have the, the people instruct instructed to seat me in the back row or in the corner facing the corner in timeout. I'm going back. That's a covenant. He could kick me out. Now that's on him. But like I'm not, I'm not throwing the relationship away. But what if he does kick you out? Then I, I couldn't come back because he owns the property. Right. So you, you. People are welcome to walk away from me. I'm not, wa- I'm not walking out of people. Well, you know, I, right. I just see. But you're, thing. you're also not showing up to his church property that he kicked you off of. That's I'm a- just saying. Right. But what, what's the point of it? But, well, I'm just saying because there has been instances where that has happened, where it's like you feel like you're loyal to this person and they don't reciprocate that. Not, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about a covenant. Like I never had a, 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 somebody like Rodney Howard Brown before him. I was praying for a spirit, like for God to connect me into the center of the body of Christ when he called me out of the blue. Right. And he did. And he called out of the blue. The Lord quickened me in prayer to call you. I went down there, had hands laid on me. Our next meeting went 21 days, and it's been off to the races since then. True. So I'm not, st- you know, Jesse Duplan is out of nowhere and saying what he said this on the phone last time about who he, who he, who he talks to. I'm not, that's not like a light thing to me. Well, you know, we, we, had a good, we had a good run for like three years, and then I just, I decided, you know, maybe, I'm, I'm not doing that. So he he would be welcome to like step out of my life. I'm not gonna like track people down, but it won't be because of anything I do. Right. And I and you know, many of you that are watching have heard me teach on this before. One way to quickly ruin a covenant relationship is to correct upwards. Hell no. <laughs> Never correct up. Mm. Ever. Why do you do this? I think you should. It's over. Ten pitfalls you must avoid. Because Adonis is a covenant relationship with uh, uh, that I have. We went to the altar till death do us part. We made a covenant with God. And I meant, I, I'm, what, she, she can run out on me, but I won't on her, no matter what happens. I'm not, Johnny. I'm in covenant. There's people that I'm in covenant with. And, and maybe, I'm not saying that it's wrong to say some people are in your life for a season. But there should be ten times more teaching on covenant relationship. True. So somebody doesn't have low blood sugar one Sunday and leave their church. I told you not to stay in churches. You know you shouldn't stay in. But you also should, shouldn't leave one, a, a man of God as your pastor that he put in your life because you were feeling sad one day or whatever the heck. <laughs> covenant relationship. Who, who is a covenant relationship in your life? You should stay with them. Number six. Wait, say law for a second, Mom. Mm. Why? What do you get out of that? Well, because it's not just about like a spiritual father, you know, and a covenant is a covenant. So it could, this also could infiltrate your marriage. So it's like most people, because they're not loyal, 
they're always looking for a, like a way out. How can I, uh, you know, how can I scrutinize his flaws and make them a problem so big that I can walk out? It, that's a you problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, you're the one that's not loyal. You're the one that's always going after. And, 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 and it's a problem. It's a problem. That's why marriages in, in the United States, they, they end in divorce, so many of them. And it's because everybody's always, you do you. If you don't find joy, peace out. So we're always going after this like vague, weird, uh, fairy tale figment of our imagination place that exists that is not reality, you know? And a lot of times I feel like we can miss it because we, our imagination says that there's this, this person that is going to be perfect and flawless yes. in every aspect. And when they're not, you dip out. It's yeah. like they're human and, just as much as we are. And not only that, people don't have any covenant relationships because it's like, uh, who are you under in the ministry? Well, you know, I'm not under Pastor Rodney. I also don't like the Assemblies of God. I don't. The entire body of Christ, you can't find any, anybody to be in covenant with. You know, no, I'm, I just, I'm hoping God puts somebody in my life. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting this imaginary person who, 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 you know, it's why people can't get married either. I want this and this and this and a wife. That person is a, is a figment of your imagination. There's people, there's like actual people. That's true. Cause it's, and, and I feel like that, that is what social media does too. It impacts like what you see every, you know, we're all like, you know, trotting through this, this like field with lilies and, and wildflowers and you're lovingly looking at each other and you're only giving people like the, 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 the 10% of your life. It's like that little picture of perfection when in reality, it's not always like that. No. Sometimes you're going to walk through some very difficult things. Covenant's covenant. And I like what Corey said on the, on the app. Um, David had that kind of relationship with Saul. Yeah, and Saul was tracking David down to kill him. But David got rebuked by God when he cut part of his robe off. So there, if you recognize, you know, part of covenant is knowing who's higher. Abraham was in covenant with God. They weren't equals. Which means there's, there's uh, a part in you that has to walk in, in humility. Humility. To have a covenant relationship with. It, yeah, there's be, no way around it. And be willing to be insulted or, you know. Or if, corrected, corrected or criticized. That's right. Or yeah. Un, be willing to be criticized in, in a way that you think is undue criticism. Mm. I don't even agree with that. And just nod your head and stay in covenant. Facts. And then don't harbor that. As It'll wreck the relationship. Exactly. Any, any bitterness in or anything. That's it. I just think he's like very hard on me. And he, he didn't have to say it like that. You, you can't have a covenant relationship. No, you're right. That person's over you. Your, your thoughts don't matter. Now, obviously, you can take anything to a ridiculous extreme. Sure. Don't you don't allow dumb. someone to, to rape you or beat you or, or whatever. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about having an actual, like, godly person. Right. David didn't allow Saul to kill him. But he also never went after Saul. Touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. Number six. Dang, we can go. We can go. Ten pitfalls you must you must avoid. Uh, the pitfall of your unwillingness to change. That's a long one, but here we are. Okay, 
and we kind of touched up on it last um, night. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, a new has come." This is the formula. Okay, here, there's a there's a new creation that has been been formed. So. You, you should feel like with that new change, which I'm going to get into, um, in a little bit. I think there's, um, it's one of the, the points that I'll tie this kind of like back to it. But I, I want you, because a lot of people will say, well, like, oh, I just, I don't handle change easily, like very easily. I like, I like, you know, um, what's the opposite of change? Uh, stagnation. Stagnation. <laughs> they wouldn't say stagnation, but they like their routine. They like their lives and they like it done every single day the same way. And so, uh, you know, we, we, you're a new creature. So when you became a new creature, things had to change. So there's, there's, it's that formula is if you want something to change, change has to happen. And so your unwillingness to change in a new setting, in a marriage, you know, a lot of times there's, there's, there's individuals that carry a single minded mindset. I know that's redundant, but here we are. Uh, you, you, you're, you've brought in your singleness. Uh, what, give me the words. I don't know what the heck. That's a word. Okay. You've brought in your, your mentality of being single into a marriage where that's no longer a thing. So you, you cannot keep your own accounts. You cannot do it the way you did living single for the last 26 years. Now you're with this person, but you're unwilling to change and you're unwilling to meet him halfway. And that's a you problem. And that's an internal thing that you have to really lay at the feet of Jesus and understand if I want something to work and flourish, something new has to be done. And that's where, you know, people really kind of mess up because they, they feel though, as though they don't have a part to play, that they're not responsible for a working marriage, that oh, I guess God's not in it. Well, well, if he was a Christian, then he would talk to me differently. And if, if, if she was a believer, then, then we'd see things financially in the same page. Well, you, they, you don't see things, you know, uh, the same. That's okay. Meet halfway. Make changes that will help aid in, in your progression. There's change is inevitable. And I know we run away from change, but change is a good thing. Change is a sign that, that, you know, you're moving forward and you're not in a place of stagnation. If you're in a marriage and you refuse to change your ways, you've been this way for a long time and I refuse. That's just being stubborn and, and, and it's going to go nowhere. And, and I, I find that especially in marriages that people go, around in circles. It's like, oh, we're doing really good. Let's take a photo for Instagram and then say cheese. Oh, we're, we love each other. Everything works out. And then it's like you're at each other's throats and you, you want to kill this person. And it's this sick cycle. And you keep going through it and decades have gone by and it's still the same. And it's like, why is it? Because somebody refused to change. Somebody refused to say, hey, let's meet halfway and come together so that this can maybe work out. Let's, let's come. That, that takes, again, it takes meekness. It takes you being humble enough to say, I don't know how you do things or how you see it, but this is how I see it. Let, let's come together and, and make a change. That's a Michael Jackson song. I know it. Uh, but, you know. It is. It is. Thanks to you, I know that. <laughs> Gonna make a change. Wait. Now it's like suck. It's like an uh, unresolved note in my head. Dag nabbit. 
<laughs> I wish I could help you, but I wasn't allowed to listen to anything but Hold Carmen on. and Sandy Patty. Gonna make a change. <laughs> Somebody help me out. I'm starting with that man in the mirror. Is that? Okay, whatever. I mean, that was so distracting. Um, so, you know, things have to change. Adapt, act, react. I'm just kidding. I'm just, uh, <laughs> that was the uh, office line. Remember how Michael Scott says adapt, react, dact, or <laughs> whatever it was. I forget what it is. Anyway, uh, so you, you, you gotta, your unwillingness to change is a pitfall in your life. Um, and so you have to, uh, uh, adapt. You literally have to adapt to change. And, and, and at times that could be a very difficult thing. Look, look at me. That could be a very difficult thing because the, there's things that have happened in our lives that are beyond our, you know, uh, they're, 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 uh, they're beyond our control. They're, they're things that happen, maybe bad things that have, have happened. And, and, you know, if we could help it, obviously we could, but we didn't. We couldn't help it, the, the situation. And so, you know, you're stuck in that mindset of, you know, it, well, it should have been this way, but it's not. And so you live in that space of, uh, you know, regret or you live in that space of, um, you know, uh, suffering or, uh, what is it when you mourn, mourn, you mourning, you know, you're living in that state of whatever happened to you, this outside, uh, thing that happened to you, an accident, a divorce, the loss of a loved one, something along those lines that it was super, super traumatic. And your unwillingness to change means you're stuck in that situation. And so I want you to understand with a, a, a new chapter or, or, you know, something like that happens, something is required of you to move forward and, and move in the upward trajectory. And that is adapting to the change. And God has empowered us to adapt to those changes. So what that, what is that going to look like? It's a new mindset that I have to carry. It's a mindset of forgiveness. It's a mindset of joy that I have to now grasp like more than ever, but you can't stay the same and it expect for you to, 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 you know, continue to, to increase or go into the next level. Something's required of you. Something's required of you in business. If you want to continue to scale the heights of success, something is required. A change has to be made the way you did it in 1979. Ain't going to cut it anymore. You know, even, even with advertisement, I was just talking to Dougie. I'm like, get on social media. I think I'm going to get on social media. He gets on social media. He's got customers now. He's, you know, you, you advertise. It's just a different way of doing things. And we have to be, um, uh, pliable enough to move in that direction and, 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 and not be so rigid that we can't change or everything is fractured and out of place and, <laughs> no, just stay in the flow and, and being full of the Holy Spirit really is such a phenomenal thing because it's, you're part of that flow. 
you know? And so when, when things shift and when things change, the Holy Spirit equips you, guides you, leads you into all truth that even though the settings are changed, like I know where to go and I know what to do and something's required of me and I'm going to move in that direction, even though I've never done that before. Um, and so be willing to change, be willing to stay moldable and fluid in Jesus name. What would you have to add? Nothing. Nothing to add. You nailed it. Number, so number six, it, 10 pitfalls you must avoid in life. Number six is. Oh, that was number six. I have it at number three. Uh, the pitfall of your unwillingness to change. The pitfall of unwillingness to change. Number seven. Quickly go to 1 Samuel chapter six. That was great, by the way. Here's another obscure Bible passage. I've been going through a lot of them tonight. Sorry, 2 Samuel 16. Second Samuel 16. Verse 5. As King David came to Baharim, a man came out of the village cursing them. What was that town? Huh? What was that town? Baharim. That's what I thought. It, a man, now think of this. This is David. He's the king. A man sees David and comes out and starts cursing at him. That's a bad move. Yeah. You know, when I was in, uh, I won't say what country, but it was in Central Africa, the, poli- the police motorcade drove by, and a guy from another political party, just like a r- guy that lived in the city, took, took some tomatoes and threw them at the police motorcade. The motorcade came to a stop. All the soldiers got out with AK-47s and blew the guy away, got back in the truck, and drove down the road. So it's not smart to curse at certain people or (laughs) just because you don't like someone, there's different ways of dealing with it. So this is David. He's king of Israel. This guy starts cursing at him. Then he threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded him. Get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel, he shouted at David. So you, you understand, no matter how you live, there's going to be people that have a wrong impression of you. Mm. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. Saul had died. This guy blamed David for Saul's death in battle, even though uh, Saul fell on his own sword. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it. So you understand, not everybody in Israel thought, like, no, um, the anointing actually left Saul and went to David, and he's the right king. No, he stole it. You stole it from Saul. And now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last, you will taste some of your own medicine, for you are a murderer. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Abishai, son of Zeruai, demanded. Let me go over and cut off his head. No, the king said. This is David. He was a good guy. Who asked your opinion, you sons of Zeruiah? If the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, My own son's trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse. For the Lord has told him to do it, which wasn't true. Perhaps the Lord will see that I am being wronged and will bless me because of these curses today. So David and his men continued down the road. I mean, that's a different, this is in the Middle East. That was not done. And Shimei kept peace, pace with them on a nearby hillside, cursing and throwing stones and dirt at David. The king and all who were with him grew weary along the way, so they rested when they reached the Jordan River. What happened to that guy? Eventually, Absalom's rebellion was put down, Absalom was killed, and King David was restored to his throne. 
Shimei knew that he was now on shaky ground. See, he thought Absalom was going to overthrow David, but then he didn't. So he gathered with him over a thousand Benjamites and went to meet David. 2 Samuel 19, 16 and 17. Falling on his face, Shimei apologized for his past behavior and begged the king not to hold it against him. Again, King David's men asked to kill Shimei, but again David refused to give Shimei, refused and gave Shimei his oath that he would not kill him. So that's how it ends, right? Nope. It seems that Shimei was a thoroughly despicable man. However, and that he persisted in his, it seems that he was a thoroughly despicable man, however, and that he persisted in his opposition to David. On his deathbed, David charged Solomon with the task of executing Shimei. He still remembered. He's dying. One more thing. Kill that guy, Shimei. Because he gave a vow that he wouldn't do it. Do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do to him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. 1 Kings 2.9. The only reason Shimei, and if Hollywood didn't hate the Bible so much, you could make some great movies. But they won't do it because every time they look at it, they're reminded they're going to hell. The only reason Shimei was still alive was that David was honoring his oath. Solomon showed Shimei some mercy, giving him one final... Solomon didn't kill him right away. Gave him one final chance. As long as Shimei remained in Jerusalem, he would live. So he, he confined him to Jerusalem. You can't leave the city. If, if you stay in Jerusalem, you'll live. Shimei agreed, but three years later, he left the city. When King Solomon found out, he called for Shimei and told him, You know in your heart all the wrong you did to my father David. Now the Lord will repay you for your wrongdoing. Shimei was then executed. Pitfall number seven. Avoid allowing yourself to become a joyless, taking, problem person. Say that one more time. Pitfall number seven. Avoid allowing yourself to become a joyless, taking, T-A-K-I-N-G, problem person. Shimei was a negative experience. If you allow yourself to become a negative experience, a joyless person, a taking person, can I have a ride? Does anybody have any extra food? Yeah. Does anybody have gas money? Yeah. Does anybody have bus money so I can get home? Taking. People know when you're around, you're going to need something. They, they look forward to not seeing you. They change directions when they see you coming. Yeah. Joyless. Mm. You damper a room. Yeah, that's You're black smoke in a room. Mm. You're a wet blanket. Mm-hmm. Of the, avoid the pitfall of becoming a joyless, taking, problem person. Problem. You're always in trouble. There's always drama with you. Something's always wrong. You're troubled to speak to. You're not relaxing to speak to. You don't bring joy. You bring, excuse me, can I talk to you? Um, I'm having a real problem right now because my husband doesn't want me coming to church here. And um, he doesn't want me to. Hey, I don't know you. I, where did you come from? Go back to the cave you came from. I don't, I don't want to get away from you. I, can I just interrupt for a second? Yeah. And I, have, I have a person that's like that on my phone, but I have no idea who this person is. So I changed my phone number probably like two years ago or something. And this person thinks I'm a different person. And the only text messages he gives me are when somebody dies. Joey died today. 
Margaret died today. Well, he did send me a picture of his, his graduating class of 1962, uh, but I haven't responded. But yeah, that's a very... Real person. Real. That's probably thing. like 20% to 30% of the population. Because can you imagine just texting an individual when people die? Because if you become like that, you can fast and pray all you want. You can tithe all you want. You are not going... You're going to go down in life because no one likes being around you. You have the opposite of favor. So it, I'm, I'm asking you that are watching, take a careful evaluation of yourself. Do you light up a room or deaden a room? Do you add money to things or subtract money to things? Are people happy when you walk in the door or do they look for another door to go out when they see you walk in because trouble is brewing? Mm. What does your face look like? <laughs> Can I talk to you just nope. for a second? I'd be like, nope. In that voice. What's your voice like? Have you ever uplifted anyone? Have What? No, I'm just... I wrote this on... Cheering you on. And we talked about this earlier this week. Mm. You should be a heavenly experience in a hellish world. Because if you act like this guy acted, to any extent, you end up like he ended up. Yeah, you suck. That's just a problem. Yeah. Hey, there's the king. I'm going to go throw rocks at him. Yeah, what the age was he thinking? Just a continual screw-up, always begging for mercy. How many jobs have you been fired from? Well, I think that my boss, you know, I think he was demonic. All four of them? Well. You got fired from Chick-fil-A, you think you're, that boss was demonic? How come you don't excel anywhere? How come people don't like you around? Tell me. Everybody gets promoted by me, but except me. Why? Yeah. I would, I would think about that. I remember when my boss promoted me when I was selling um, timeshares and mortgages at a call center. Mm. Somebody said, he's only been working here two months. I've been here for over a year. And the, and the boss just nodded his head. You know why? He liked me. You'd be amazed how, how nicely things go in life when people like you. Mm. You know, one of my greatest joys in life is when I listen to Pastor Rodney preach on live stream and he mentions my name, you know, Evangelist Jonathan, and you start hearing people giggle. It's like just the thought of all the insane things I've done made people laugh or whatever. Just the mention of my name makes people start laughing. There's people that are watching me right here. If somebody mentions my name to you, you know Jonathan? Oh, yeah. You laugh. Not everybody, but most, most people that are in my life, they're like that. That should be the story with you. When people hear you're coming to over, they're happy. When people hear that someone brought you unannounced to a dinner party, oh, seriously? Not, oh, you know, in the future, just check with me who you're going to bring. Yo, facts. Please. You, I really would plead with you to take a careful evaluation of yourself hmm. and see whether you fall into this group. Because if you are a taking person, stop asking for things no one's offering. <laughs> Nobody owes you anything. You, you owe people things. Oh, wow. Yes. This is so good. Joyless. Stop being joyless. 
Look at your face. Have you, you know, your face should be pleasant, joyful. I use bad examples a lot and like, like condemning examples. Layla, did I say your name right? Yes. No, say it. No, you didn't say it right. Lella. Lella, that runs the floor. I like having her around. I've never, in my presence, she's never been anything but joyful. I like having her on the floor. There was, a, there was a young lady that used to run the floor in the old building. Her name was Courtney. I liked having her on. She was, she was happy on the floor all the time around me. People are like, well, you should have seen when you weren't around. I don't, know, I don't see when I'm not around. I know what people are like when I'm around. She was happy when you were not around. No, I'm just saying, if people are, that work in the office are like, well, she's not always like that. Well, she is when I'm around. Right. And that's what I see. I like, um, I like uh, uh, Clarita and Tony's son that, that's here. He's all... Uh, Say it again. Anthony. He's always pleasant. Always pleasant. You know, as pastor of this church, like you think, who would go throw rocks and dirt at a king? You know, I walked by a lady that works for me. I pay her a full-time salary. She looked down and frowned and didn't even, like, say hello, mean face. She's she's gone. I didn't. I mean, she's gone. She, she, I didn't have anything to do with her going. I'm just saying, you know, why? Here's a thought. When you work somewhere, maybe be kind to the man who pays you. You'd think people would have enough sense to do that just selfishly. Have you ever greeted your pastor? I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking to our church people. Are you? Have you, at your church, does your pastor know you? Why doesn't he? That's, a, that's good. Have you never given him? And then people are going to, I don't want, I'm leaving. Yeah, exactly. I, don't, I, don't, I don't want anything. Yeah. If, you, if you mail me anything, you don't even go to it's going to rot outside the front Some door because I, I won't be home. Have you ever, never given, you never found out something your pastor likes or heard a message it in, in a sermon and give him a gift certificate to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse from you, do something like that? Because if you haven't, I guarantee you, there's a small chance you're neutral and there's a large chance you're a taker. You know, a taker, you feel owed. You know, the pastor's never. Entitlement. Yeah, you know, the pastor's never um, talked to me. Have you talked to him? Mm, boom, roasted. Have you encouraged him? Are you waiting after he's done preaching to make sure he never goes home in a good mood? No. Yeah, can I just mention something? Um, I was able to get my mother to come yesterday, and um, she wasn't healed, and now she's sicker. So I just wanted to, if you could keep her in prayer, I'm going to go to lunch. Now. Forget the pastor. Like, what about other relationships? You know, you complain about, uh, you know, not having friends. When was the last time you did anything for another individual? When was the last time you picked up the tab? When was the last time you brought coffee to your boss? Like all of this stuff is just, uh, it's, it's an entitlement thing and it's, it's a deficit. It's a minus. It's a subtraction from life. You are a subtracting thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're a subtracting force. Instead of being a plus, that's why nobody wants to be around you because you feel like you're entitled to relationships. Like, like the thing about the, the pastors, I'd, I'd like to know how many people have left our church because they didn't get a personal uh, uh, visit from you or like a hello or a warm greeting. Yeah. I'd like to know. 
I'd like to know. And, and it's that mindset that's like, he owes me because I moved out here or I, he, I, you know, I changed churches. I left the churches and I'm going there. The least I could do is a, is a hello from the pastors. And Dallas doesn't even, she, I didn't even see her on Sunday. She didn't even greet me at the door. And, and it's like, I'm with children. It, or, or instead, it's just, it's like you're saying, it's the mentality. And I haven't, uh, you know, I've not heard of that happening. I'm sure it has and people just haven't told me, but yeah, I, I don't exactly. have that. That's why I'd be curious to know because I haven't heard it as, as of yet. I, I, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, like what you said, why do you have the mentality of who's going to greet you or make you, how come you're not coming to make people feel welcome? It's that same kind of bull crap, uh, uh, like mentality mindset about being a hypocrite. There's too many hypocrites at church, so I'm just not going to go there because there's so many hypocrites. It's like, okay, that doesn't like help the situation. You just have a mindset that everybody is, is the opposite of what they say. Why not be that person that is, is what they say and be that force to other people? And if you are, you stand out. Because like I brought up when I was working at the call center, and I swear I didn't do this to get promoted or anything. But I would go to Dunkin' Donuts. I, I got Dunkin' Donuts in this cup right now. I would go at 19. That's when I started drinking coffee. When I was working that job, there was a Dunkin' Donuts right down the street, Smithfield Street in uh, downtown Providence, Rhode Island. So I'd go out to get a coffee. Back then it was like, what, a dollar five for, for a large? And, and I thought, you know, what's a second dollar? And I had seen my boss, Jeff, drinking coffee. So I, I got him one. So I came back, no big deal. Laid it on his desk and went to work. I didn't even like wait for him or anything. Yep. So he comes over and goes, did you get, um, I can't remember who the other guy's name was that was also like helped out that was in leadership. He's like, did you, did you, uh, he said he saw you put a coffee on my desk. Did you buy this for me? I went, I went, yeah. He went, uh, wow. And you know me, I went, take it easy. It was a dollar five. And he goes, no. It's not that. He goes, I've never had anybody get me anything. Sad. Because why? Now, I look at it now because I'm not 19, I'm 42. Everyone else is walking around. Not only are they not going to get them a coffee, you know, you know, they only pay me this. How many times? Mike. Sorry. How many times has an individual said, I've never had this done to me before over the last 15 years? Uh, quite a few. Way, like sadly, way too many. Where it would be like, I'm sorry, what? Nobody's done this to to, to you're like a a a a a a general in the faith. What are you talking about that nobody's done this to you before? Be because people think this ministry has a lot of money and and and, and so this is uh, it's entitlement. You know, somebody put that in the comments. Never feel entitled to anything. That's it. Bye. You know, that's why a lot of people are going to go to hell because they feel entitled to heaven. That's so you're telling me because I do this, God won't let me into heaven. Yeah, you're not entitled to heaven. Jesus had to come and die to get you in. That took a left turn. But it is all encompassing, sir. It's the worst mentality. It is to feel like people owe you something rather than feel like you have a debt to humanity. Uh, exactly. Because of what God's rescued you and you and I should be rescued. That's other right. People. That's exactly right. No one owes me anything. No church people owe me their offering money. None of our staff owe me. I hate that so much. That's why, that's why we, don't have, we don't have Pastor Appreciation Day at our church. No. And you should have Pastor Appreciation sure. Day at your church. But Great. I won't. I can't have my, get my staff, because I told them to, march me out a gift. Don't. We that got is you so this, crazy. as you instructed. Do <laughs> I, as hate, you, I hate forced as honor. As you instructed. Yeah, I would feel like Kim Jong-un. 
Yeah, no. Thank you for the gift that I had you get me so I don't kill you. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. I don't like it. You know, it means a lot if somebody honors you that that didn't need to. That means a lot. By the way, just so you know, in two weeks, we'll be honoring Pastor John. It makes my insides hurt. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I 100%. While I'm on this kick, I hate birthdays. Okay. Because I hate that people feel... (laughs) <laughs> I love buying stuff for people, but I hate doing it if they feel like I, I have to. You know, sounds I said your birthday gift was late. I wish I could get FedEx to come and retract it. <laughs> what? Oh, that's so funny. It's the worst. The odor of entitlement. It's why I'm not a Democrat. It's true. Yeah. It's my birthday month. We deserve free health care. You, deserve, you deserve to go to hell. Jesus came. We all deserve to go to hell. If you want what you deserve, you go to hell. Oof, no. Mm-mm. Jesus came to rescue us from hell, and everything else is a bonus. Come on, say that. I mean, really, like that, that I'm sure is freeing some people up to carry that kind of mindset. Nobody owes you a freaking thing. Anybody? And, and the fact is that people in the circumstances that they're in, even when it's bad, it's like, how, well, I know I'm going to heaven because how, with all the things that I've gone through, I've heard this, with all the things that I've gone through in life, how could God like have me suffer so bad and not allow me to go to heaven? Oh, easy, because you've never confessed him as Lord and Savior of your life. There's a formula. There's a formula for it. And your circumstances don't affect that formula. So if you were raised in, a, in an abusive home, in a poor home, you are not entitled to my money or my thing. No. So you, and, and, and the law is behind me. You cannot rob me or you're going to prison. But they still feel like, well, I'm do this. They, they say entitlement is, is what thieves feel. That's why they steal. You know, I've had a hard life. Walmart has a ton of things. They're not, they're not going to miss $200 worth of stuff. They make billions of dollars. It, that, it, that, that's the attitude. Adultery carries the same thing. It's a sense of arrogance and pride and entitlement to somebody else's thing. I feel entitled to this thing because I do it. I'm a hard worker. I deserve better than my wife. I deserve this. You know, so it's all this. It, it really does affect everything. At the, very, at the very root of it is this satanic thing. That, that is like obsessed with just you and nothing else. You're right. It is satanic. That's, that's how Lucifer lost heaven. Good. I'm glad you agreed because I thought that, that was like too extreme, but it's, no, it's true. That's how Lucifer lost heaven. It's, it's, he yeah. felt entitled to more than what, than what God had given him. There it, it is. It, it cost him. Come it, on, it's, bring it here. <laughs> you bring, bring it here. Bring it up here. That was a good point. See, we... We compliment you. You know, Kevin. if you scroll back through my Instagram, you will never see me post anything about my birthday, let alone my birthday month. Or it's like, who the who are you? You know, I only did that a couple times, John. I, I feel like a personal attack on me to the today. That's that's something you're gonna have to work through. I've only done that the last fifteen years of my life. I, I heard Bishop David Oyadepo say, God owes me nothing. Mm. I owe God everything. Everything. Mm, that's that's the exact. Write opposite. that down. And if, Write if that down. If you get that mentality, I, I'm and I owe mankind something <laughs> on behalf of God because mm. now that He saved me, I have a debt to pay to give back to to other people. Let me tell you, that is liberating. That's a liberating truth because when you understand that, then there's no expectation. So when somebody does you harm, it's okay. 
Like I'm not yeah. expecting anything. He probably had a bad day. He probably had, exactly. And and most people live this this thing like I'm do this. He do, he should treat me better. Even David, which I'm not, you know, that scripture is not shouldn't be like a foundational scripture. But you look at the mentality of a man after God's own heart. He's the king in an Arab world. You know, hey, this this guy's Christian the king. Let me go cut his head off right now. I, my own son wants to kill me. So what what's the big deal? You know, it's like. He, he let him live. Yeah. It's like, like, yeah, he's got a right to throw. <laughs> Everybody doesn't like me. When you feel like that, that's why people can write nasty stuff about me on social media. It, in, it does not bother me because I, I don't care. Mm. I, I, you know, when the Bible says we've made ourselves of no reputation, it does, okay. I don't care. No. Look at David. He, he was the man. He killed Goliath. And this guy, you, you're the reason Saul died. You don't even belong being the king. You, you can't even keep your own household together. You know, that's how people are. That's the secret sauce right there to life. Right yeah, there. the opposite of entitlement. I owe, I owe God everything and I owe people everything. Mm. So I'll help you. I want to help you. I, 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 I'm, I'm glad that God sent Jesus to save me from hell. And I'll, yeah, I'm preaching on the 21 rights Christians have on Sunday in our Constitution. I have that as a right. But everything God does is a bone, you know, it's not like if God doesn't heal my, my cocker spaniel, I'll never go back to church again. Like people are. You, you had people a friend have like, done that. You had a friend like that when you were growing up. Yes, I did. Her, uh, she had a friend, her boyfriend got on heroin, mm-hmm. and she said, if God doesn't answer my prayer to have my boyfriend delivered so that I can marry him, then I'm not, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. And guess what? She did exact. she's not a Christian. She'll go to hell. So she'll go to hell to prove some kind of point to God knows who. Oh my gosh, help us. I don't, God owes me nothing. Now he made me promises and he keeps his word. So I'm not saying God won't do anything for me. God has done and will do plenty. Mm. But I owe God my life, 10%. I owe him 100%, including my brain that I use to calculate what 10% is. My my lungs, everything God gave me. my, My reasonable service to God is to expend my life giving back to him and to what he loves most, which are people. That's my reasonable, the Bible calls it your reasonable service. What scripture is that about your reasonable service? I got you, hold on. Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Living sacrifice, reasonable service. That's what I am. That's what Adonis is. My life, my life is given out in service to humanity. And I'm not, I'm not suffering. I'm not saying it like that. But, you know, look at my schedule starting tomorrow night and, and the, the amount of time I spend doing this because I'm not saying this as a sermon point. I feel that way. You know, I think there's all... I want no honor. Like, as far as, like, for my birthday or what... they. I'll get rewarded in heaven. And I, I get rewarded, plenty, you know, then in think of this, in making the decision to walk away from, I don't want anybody to honor me. Don't, you know, this is, <laughs> this was handed to me by someone who said, this watch that's worth quite a bit of money. Mm. You, when, when, when you came and preached at my church, mm. I gave my life to the Lord. I started a company after that, listened to your podcast. And now I, I, I'm making a lot of money, and I wanted to take, this is what he said, I want to take the thing that I spent the most amount of money on for myself, and, and I felt the Lord speak to give it to you. 
So what you think you're walking away from, I never would have schemed. Now listen, if you could have the whole church take an offering for me because I would like this watch, well, there wouldn't have been enough come in the offering for it. Right. So God will actually give you, you know, that thing earlier in the week we said, in the kingdom, the way up is the way down. Mm. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. That's the way to go. And you can't, I don't know why people feel they're like due honor. And that's not to harp on birthdays. I'm not a Jehovah's Witness or whoever the group is that doesn't, I think it's Jehovah's Witnesses that don't celebrate birthdays. You're fine to celebrate. We throw in for Camila. I'll throw in for my wife. My wife does something nice for me. That's fine. But I mean, to start, for me to start popping on, let alone these other ministers that, Put on, today we'd like to wish a happy birthday. Cash app. So, no, no, today we'd like to wish a happy birthday to so-and-so. It's like, you don't have any staff. You type that. There's a picture of them up like this. Today we would like to wish a very happy birthday to so-and-so. It's like, you're typing that in the third person to yourself. How consumed with yourself can you be? I'm just going to take a sip of this water. Well, I'm going to start the month, my birthday month. Is, is now going out to Friday. It's like, really? You're going to take a month of the year to honor yourself? I, I... Yeah. You know, just like you were talking about um, being a slave, that is also like a lost mindset that, yes, you are free, but you are still a slave. Paul said, I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a slave to Christ. So you don't, that means you don't do what you feel like doing all the time. And he didn't say I'm a slave of Christ because he didn't understand the message of grace and redemption. He wrote it. (laughs) And actually the further Paul went in life, the lower he, he, it's the later books he writes that he says, I'm a slave of Christ. Wow. Yeah. But his yoke is easy. And John the Baptist, you know, uh, Matthew eleven eleven, of none that have lived until, of all who have lived until now, none is greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said about Jesus, I'm not worthy to tie his, sho- his shoes. I'm not worthy to be his slave. Yeah. And then when his disciples, when John the Baptist's disciples got upset because more people were going to see Jesus now, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. Yeah. That's the mentality of great people. Yeah. That's great. <sighs> Let's bust out the last three. Real okay. Quick. Uh, the pitfall of false imprisonment. Galatians 4, 7. Now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now on the heels of what I didn't know that you were going to talk about that. But uh, just a a, a mindset that we carry that will be a pitfall in your life is the fact that you are enslaved to things that are are don't exist anymore. Uh, And those are all mindsets. I'm I'm it's this experience that I had that's really holding me back from being the wife that I should be. You know, it's, it's this, you know, it's, it's my, my grandpa's voice. You know, he was always like a downer and really just berated me. And I, I hear his voice in the back of my, my head. And so it's really, it's just that voice, that voice that's keeping me back and you keep like deflecting and it's this false sense of imprisonment that you're carrying. I don't even know if that's like, like, uh, the, the right verbiage. It's probably not. That seems like word salady. Uh, but what I'm trying to paint a picture to you is the fact that we kind of uh, build these realities 
and we're chained to an experience and we're chained to um, an individual that has wronged us, that that has made us feel bad. Maybe there's an abuse attached to it. And we keep chaining ourselves to that thing that's happening in the past. And we keep bringing it up as though it's the reason why we can't keep moving forward. And so it's that mentality that we're uh, chained and they're imaginary chains because you can, you're free from that. You are no longer uh, 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 a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave to the past. What you have to do now is kind of like recalibrate, refocus on what it is that, that is set before you. How can you attack in faith and how can you stop making excuses? Because ultimately that's really what it all comes down to. We try, we try making excuses. Well, just this happened. And so, you know, at times I treat my husband like absolute garbage you know, you know, everyone does that, uh, you know, but really it's because when I was seven, um, there was something that happened and, um, I had a bully and he pushed me and it was a, it was a man. And so I've had men problems and, and I've not been able to submit and I'm, I'm not poking fun because some of the things that you've experienced may have, you know, holds a lot of weight and then it carries, it's really like awful, the things that you have, have gone through, but it's, it's, it's not a reason to not continue to progress. And you have to recognize that. And this is a gentle pow pow because I love you, but you keep bringing up those things as though they're hindrances and there's nothing in, in your way. And that has to be the harshest reality, I think, in life is to not go into the promised land because imaginary things are there. And it's like, nope, the road is clear. That that whole wall that you've built, it's your imagination. You can easily walk up in that piece and take the ter- territory and just follow the, 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 the basic instructions that the word of God has to say. But you convince yourself out of it and it's a lazy way of doing life because instead of correcting it and, and getting set free from whatever it is that, that is, is chaining you to that past, you want that as an excuse to keep you from moving forward. Well, how was this? This happened to me. It was a dark thing. Okay. How, how, Okay, so so why why can't you get in a relationship? Well, it's just this this thing that I carry that I can't trust. That's again, that's a you problem, because you have everything you need in life. There's no holes. There's no gaping holes. Everything concerning life and godliness are already a part of your life. You are complete, lacking no good thing. The Bible says. So why do you keep trying to make problems in these? issues that are really no longer a problem, except you're the one that's holding yourself hostage. And when you get to heaven, you're going to look back, hopefully not after today. You're, uh, but but so I, I believe that a lot of people are going to look back and say, oh, I thought the devil was behind that, but oh my gosh, it was me. Yeah. I put it, that. Because it is up. you. It's not the devil. If you're correct, the, de- the devil can't stop you. He's under your feet. He can't do anything to you. It's you that's the problem, you know, and I'm saying that sounds like the most condemning thing you can say. That's what David said. A man after point out anything in me that offends you so I can make it right. That's good. God's not the problem. The devil's too small to carry out what you're giving him credit for. If you straighten yourself out, even if the devil directly is the problem, it's because of a door you've opened that you now can close. Right. We, we've been given all authority, all power. All dominion. You know, we have everything it takes to, to, to come through on the other side 
it, with success and joy and peace, but we refuse to, to go after it. And I was, uh, you know, I think you, you uh, maybe you didn't make mention, but it was in the days of John the Baptist, the violent take it by force. You know, and I was talking to that, uh, I was talking about that in our class the other day. And it's this mindset that like for a very long time, it was just all talk. Now it's a reality. And that reality is afforded to anybody. It's available for everybody. Everything of, of, of goodness, all the promises of God, they are there for the masses. Anybody can have access to them. But sadly, only the ones that really are going to bust forth and demand those things and fight for it and really actively seek those things, desire it, yearn for it, hunger and thirst for it. Those are the only people that are ever going to get it. Because if you keep pacifying, you know, uh, uh, the, the current state, not pacifying, it's just, it, it's, you, you keep kind of like diverting, well, it, it, excuses to not get healed, excuses to not get set free from depression or, or to have a healthy marriage or relationships and X, Y, Z. If you continue on in that man, manner, you'll never get anything. Everything in the word of God has to be activated. They don't happen automatic. That's why faith is so daggone important. It's really the currency in heaven. And so that's why when we have faith, it has to be violent. It has to be like I'm going after it and it's mine. That's what faith is. Faith is already knowing that it's yours even before you have it. That takes some kind of crazy. You know, it, has, it takes some kind of tenacity and, and, and strength and courage to say, I'm healed, even though I don't see it in the natural. I mean, I take it. It's mine. And that's the people that are going to get, you know, go into heaven and, and get what belongs to them. The violent are, ta- are take it by force, not the ones that make up excuses and think that they're in, enslaved to things that d- d- don't even exist. Pitfall number nine, that was great. Not protecting, the pitfall of not protecting what you have. Second Kings 20, 12 through 19. The king shows the, the king of Babylon everything he has, and the king of Babylon comes back a little while later and raids him and takes everything he has. What you don't protect, you will lose. There's churches that lost their whole church, a few of them. Somebody molested somebody in the children's ministry. They found out the guy had a record. Nobody ever did a background check. He was nice. I didn't realize when he seemed so nice. Many times evil people are very nice. There's no such thing as, an, as a mean con artist. The whole way they gain your trust is by being kind and roping you in. There's, there's, there's enough people watching tonight that there would at least be a few women that had a man who convinced you that he loved you and he he defrauded you, took yep. your money. He was so nice. They're, they're professionals at that. That's what con artists do. There's no mean con artists. Mm. They're the nicest people you'll ever meet. What you don't protect, you will lose. As God has blessed you and given you a family and children, protect them. Protect what he's given you. Did you hear another church was burned down? So demonic. No, I'll tell you what it is. It's from not paying a security guard. That's why the church was burned down. No no protection. 
Did you hear there was another church shooting? How many church shootings does there have to be before you put something in place to protect the people? Christians are some of the densest people because they... One of the worst things we were taught in church was to assume the best out of, of everybody. You shouldn't say that. Hey, Dad, I think the youth pastor is gay and uh, likes boys in, in the youth group. How dare you say that? He's different. He's married. You know, you, couldn't, you weren't allowed to think, not that you just go around accusing people, but you weren't, it was frowned upon to think critically about anything. I think, I think this... Uh, Associate pastor is not even a Christian. How dare you? Anything you don't protect, you will lose. Number nine, the pitfall of not protecting what you have. Insurance, security, safes. Be kind to everybody, but the Bible teaches you're not supposed to fully trust anybody, including yourself. You're supposed to put safeguards in with yourself. I just can't believe that person would do that. Go watch Forensic Files a couple nights. You'd be amazed what people can do. Saw people up and put them in a state park. Use your head. There's people that won't go to sleep tonight till they've hurt somebody. As passionate as I am about the gospel, they're that passionate about murdering or hurting or stealing. They're called evil people, and the world's full of them. Finally, number 10. The pitfall of wrong priorities. That's a good one. Matthew 6.33. But first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God. This is amplified, obviously. And all these things will be given to you. And... uh this is, this is important, especially for you ladies, but you know, obviously guys too, is we prioritize the wrong things. And maybe it's like that even in business. This, this kind of goes across the board in, in life, in your marriage, in your, your walk with the Lord, in your business. You are so busy doing nothing of importance and you're, you're hitting a wall and you're continuing to think like, what's going on? And it's the pitfall of just being busy for no freaking reason. It's like you're in a car all day, but what have you done to chip away at your dream, to chip away at the call, to chip away at, you know, a healthy relationship with your children and your, your husband and the things that are really meaningful, like we talked about zero, zero. And I, I often say that everything you do is seed that's going to bring in a, a, a really big harvest in the future. So if you understand that, then you prioritize the right things. And Matthew 6.33 says it the best. If you prioritize the kingdom of God first and foremost, which sadly is not even on uh, uh, the, the top 10 list in some people's lives. And it shows because you're fearful, you, you, you uh, aren't changing. All of the things that have led up to this point is because you haven't kept first things first. Because if you kept the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, then you understand I, in me, there's nothing good. I can only, if I'm connected to the vine, that's the only way that I'm going to produce any kind of good fruit. Anything that's good comes from God. And so when you're in that place, in that mind, in that mental space where you're like, I'm totally dependent on, on God and God alone. And, and, and out of that relationship, first things first, 
then everything else flows properly. Because if it's out of whack and you're spending too much time with your, your friends or you're, you're in it in your business too, too often or you're, you know, watching TV and social media all day long, all of a sudden it's changing your mind. It's, it's transforming the way that you think and it's not a good transformation. And, and I have to uh, reemphasize this. I spoke on this at the women's thing. And it was Romans 12 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And that word transformed is metamorphosum. But it's, it's, it's the word that comes, um, that metamorphosis comes from. It's like metamorpho or something, you know, who knows? Okay, who cares? Sounds right. Uh, and so that, but that's out of that root word comes metamorphosis and it's to change into another form or to transform. And, and people, we, we get in this mindset that we get saved. And I read, uh, you know, uh, God created something new, right? The moment you receive Christ, in your life, then all of a sudden there was a new create, uh, creation that was born. Something brand new was created. And that creation is, 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 is something that you had no, you know, you couldn't do that uh, uh, for yourself. God did that. He created something brand new. The old you is dead. The you that now lives is Christ in the flesh. However, when we made that decision to serve Jesus, we didn't morph into being like angels. I don't have wings and all of a sudden everything changed. My bank account went to millions. You know, I have a perfect relationship with my parents and my husband. None of that changed. It was something that was done in the spirit. But then there's a, a, a transformation found in Romans 12 too that's required, that, that we're required. To, to bring about. God did his part. Now that's covenant. God played his part. Now he's expecting you to play your part so that this can work. And so your part is to make sure that you don't conform to the ways of this world and prioritize the crazy things that they're prioritizing, but be transformed or created anew by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And so that change is something that it has to, has to be done within us. And so I was, I was looking at metamorphosis and the whole reason like why people don't really change or not people, but, but, um, the insects or the animals don't really change. And one of the, 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 the things, I mean, there was like a, a multitude of things. Uh, but one of those things is they're, they, they, they don't feed properly. You know, so all of the, the change isn't really created until you do something about it. So you have to make sure that you're being properly fed. You're being changed because with this new creature, there's a new way of doing things. You can no longer, you know, grab a knife and try to stab your spouse as, as you know, as a way of communicating that you're angry. You know, I'm just saying like there's going to have to be a new way of doing things because you're no longer that person. So what are you going to do? Well, it's found in the word. And so having that be, and that's why it has to be the first thing. You can, and, it, it, it can be a metamorphosis. Like you go from, you used to do it with a knife, then downgrade to like a fork, then a spoon, then not at all. 
Wow. Let's just get the not at all. Let's just go from, from a knife to not at all um, in the quickness. But prioritizing God means to prioritize his word. That's right. And so when we prioritize his word, then he, that's the language. Because you're going to continue to hit a wall if you don't know what to do. But the great thing about it is that this book has been given to us so that we might know what to do. It's lengthy because it's, uh, I, uh, Mike Murdoch said it the other day. He said, um, this is a, 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 a book of stories to help you decide. Like, how are you going to progress? How are you going to change? How are you going to deal with the situation? Well, there's stories here to help you make that decision. And oh, I, I would that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. So God didn't create us to be robots or to, to do it, you know, uh, uh, like forcefully do it the way he did. He just said, listen, there's, there's lots of stories concerning what's happening in your life right now. I've given these to you so that you can make the choice, the right choice. And that's really what we have to aim, seeking and strive for with this kingdom is doing the right thing. And, and being the person that God wants us to do and having the attitude and character that he would, would have. That's and that's, that's the, the transformation power of prioritizing first things first. Because if you're looking at the finances, you've got it all wrong. If you're looking at, you know, uh, uh, the, the, your marriage, it's, 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 it's wrong. You know, it's what, as a source of joy, because now I'm getting scatterbrained. Uh, but it's, it's the, it's the fact that you, what, why, why are you not progressing? Why do you feel down and out? It's because you put too much emphasis on your marriage instead of your relationship with Christ. And a lot of times we feel, especially women, that some, when my husband comes, he's going to complete me. And he's going to give me new, a new lease on life. And I will be able to do everything that I can once he comes. And in your case, that happened. But for the majority of people, that's not how it goes. Oh, okay. And so, and so we live this life. And then you realize, oh, he's not the source of joy, but my children will be. And then they have children. And they're like, oh, dang, they are also not fulfilling the joy in my life. So what is it? It's, it's you're, you're looking for love in all the wrong places, like Mary Mary would say. Is that what, what it's called, Mary Mary? I don't, I was looking really... for love in all the wrong places. It is Mary Mary. You just don't know nothing about I don't. Christian hip hop. I mean, or any hip, hip hop. All you ever listened to was the white folk, uh, like Iron Frenzy, Five no, Iron Frenzy. No, I listened to hip hop. I listened to Carmen, DC Talk. How I did. <laughs> what do you mean, how dare me? How dare you? Oh, did Mary Mary ever pack out uh, Cowboys Stadium? Because Carmen. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't even know they were on tour, to be honest with you. So that's what we have to do. Because I, I forgot what we. I see a bunch of people writing online that. You're talking to me, Adah. So for people that have watched this and realized they're in a pit, and now they know why, will you pray for the people that are watching? Yeah, I thought that, you were going to ask me, like, how do you get out of the pit? I'm like, that's what we've been talking about. You know, pray for them that, that God will help them to make the moves they know they need to make now. Because obviously if they're still staying on, they agree. It's like, oh, you don't, people don't know what you're talking about and slam their laptop shut. So what they need help, the courage to do it. So everybody, I, I want you where you're at. If you're able to lift both hands, and my wife's going to pray for you. 
And uh, we're going to believe God that this was not just us lecturing you on how we understand life better than you do. This is to help diagnose a problem and then deal with the problem. No, and let me let me add to that. A lot of these things are from personal experiences. Maybe not Jonathan, but definitely for me because I put myself in there. And it's not it, it's things that I would want you to avoid. If you were my daughter, if you were my son, these would be things that I'd coach you through. Like don't don't miss that step, or don't don't go to that place, or 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 do what I've done. You know, because it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you energy. It's going to cost you relationships. And so it's done out of a heart of love, not. Not because sure, yeah. we know everything. No. Do you know what I mean? But I, I want you to lift up your hands and receive it. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you for this change. I thank you that they'd be able to see it. Father, let it be like a, like a highlighter. Every pitfall in their life, illuminate it by your wonderful spirit that leads us and guides us into all truth. Father, we need you uh, to sustain us and guide us. And every, every speed bump, every hindrance, everything that would get in the way of us moving forward and doing everything you've called us to do. I thank you that it's removed every mindset, every trap, every lie. I command it to go back to hell where it came from. And from this moment, no more excuses. There's not going to be a valid enough excuse for you not doing what God's called you to do or going where God's called you to go or doing what God's called you to do. Maybe I said that already. I don't know, but it's, it's, it serves as, as a reminder for you. Do what he told you to do. Get the job done. You no more complaining about the 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 marriage going astray and and you're fed up with it. Father, I pray that by your wonderful spirit, you would give them something to do to get out of that pit in the name of Jesus. If there's people in the pit as we speak, I thank you for illuminating a way out. I thank you, Father God, for an instruction from heaven as to how to get out of that pit in the mighty name of Jesus. And you your days of falling into the same trap are over in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said. Amen. That's a great prayer. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're out of covenant with God, you can work on these things all you want. It won't work. You live under a curse. Part of the reason Christ came was not just to get us to heaven. It was to redeem us from the curse of the law, that the blessing of Abraham would come upon all who put their faith in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3, 13, and 14. Pray this prayer with me right now. Heavenly Father, I admit that I've sinned. I repent. I believe in my heart you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord and my Savior. Right now, I receive forgiveness. By the blood of Jesus, I am saved. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. Please let me know that you did in the comments, right? I did, and uh, I want to welcome you. More importantly, go to RevivalToday.com, click I Just Got Saved. It's the most prominent button on the homepage, and then fill that out completely, and I'm going to send you a Bible and other materials to help you live the Christian life. Please do that right now. You can also call if you'd like further prayer. The number for prayer is on the screen or will be on the screen shortly. We've got people stand by, standing by 412-440-1428. Before we go, on the final day of this iteration of the Spite-a-thon, I'm going to give people an opportunity to sow seed. And uh, obviously there's some of you that don't miss a night, but you also have anytime you broadcast, on, especially on YouTube and uh, 
Social media, as one old uh, television guy told me, your viewers are a river, not a lake. There's very few people who just come on at 8 and stay till 1030. Um, some do, but there's people passing through all the time, and there's pe- different people every night. So if you would like to sow into fertile soil with the realization that what you make happen for others, God makes happen for you. When you get involved with God, God gets involved in your affairs. And we are involved in God's affairs in this ministry. We have two churches that we're building simultaneously here in Pittsburgh and in Fort Worth. And we're taking delivery of a Falcon 50 aircraft, acquiring an airplane hangar, all the things that go with that. Someone could sow a seed tonight that rockets this ministry forward. I feel that. I didn't say it in the two weeks, but I feel tonight. Somebody from your business. We had somebody drive a $100,000 seat up from out of state during this week and a half. And I don't think that's the only person who God would speak to to make a big move as we crest into the, the tail end of this year. Believe in God that what you make happen for others, as you make a big move for God's kingdom, you will see God do something uncommon for you and your business and your family. I believe that. I want to believe that with you. We have uh, the cards here, people that have called already and sown a seed. I've uh, read a bunch of them. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Revivaltoday.com, you click Give Now, and I'm going to ask you if you've not pledged for Thanksgiving. What, what seed are you believing to sow? Every believer should be believing to sow the largest thing they've ever sown before the end of the year. I, but why not do that? Why not up your level in your giving, knowing that Christ is coming soon? Thanks, Luke. Awesome word from both of you. Thank you for sharing your hearts. This wisdom is gold. Bless you both, Luke. Watching via the app from Australia. I didn't read that. I'm glad I read it because I didn't see that last part. That's awesome. We're at uh, just under $800,000 between what's been given and what's been pledged. We could hit a million tonight. Easy. Put that screen back up. So you give. Two separate numbers, huh? Two separate numbers. Oh, wow. So um, that 90-day pledge, we don't have a collections department at this ministry. So it's not like you're going to hear from anybody. Excuse me. We haven't heard from you about your pledge. This is for you to come into covenant with God with your money. God gives seed to the sower. When you believe God for something to sow, it's the fastest you'll ever see money come into your possession. I believe God for a million dollars to give to Pastor Rodney, and it came <laughs> very quickly, over and above all the other expenses. Then, so, then what happens? Think of this. You're, you're, you're not interested in believing for bigger seed, right? Because, hey, whatever. You, I believed for that, and then when I sowed it, another level. As you change your level in sowing, it changes your level for what comes in. So revivaltoday.com, you click Give Now. The individual ways to give on Cash App, dollar sign RT Give, Venmo at RT Give, revivaltoday.com slash PayPal. You can text RT to 50155. If you want to mail a large check, Revival Today, it seems like people have been liking to drive in large checks but, or fly them in, but if you want to mail it, Revival Today, P.O. Buck 7, Prosperity, Pennsylvania, 15329. Don't forget to claim your offer. At revivaltoday.com, claim my offer. That ensures we have your name and address, which we don't get through all the ways people give. And I'm sending everybody who gives during the Spite-a-thon the 20 laws that govern the financial anointing, my newest book. 
forward by Jesse Duplantis, and this book by my uncle, Ted Shuttlesworth Sr., Good, Better, Best, The Gift of Faith, Gifts of the Spirit, Volume 2. Anyone that sows a seed of $10,000 or more, both of us are going to sign our copies for you. Thank you in advance. So I'm going to give you some time. Go to the phone before we call it a night and uh, go online. Make a move as together we stand to make a mark with the gospel of Jesus Christ on our generation. Thank you for sharing the Jonathan Shuttlesworth podcast. If you're interested in supporting our mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, please visit revivaltoday.com and click on Give Now to become one of our monthly partners. Thank you in advance. We hope to see you soon.